0: Amen and welcome. I'm so glad that you're here, however you're joining us and uh, however you are joining us, whether you are uh, encouraged and excited about your future um, or whether you are discouraged and frustrated with what's happening in your world. Uh, we believe this, that our great God has something to say to you today and we've been praying for that, praying for you. So I'm glad you're here. Um, we're studying this book from Peter. Uh, it's a, the letter of uh, Peter's that we call First Peter in your Bible. Find your way there. What we're seeing over the course of this study is that Peter is a guy who, when he walked with Jesus, he had this very strong story at work in his life. He, he was assertive. He had things that he believed. And Jesus came along and rewrote his story and gave him a new story. And now Peter is leading us, his readers, to find a new story. And today he 's going to tackle the story that we find ourselves in uh, in the area of government and in the area of slavery and i 'll be honest with you up front um, there 's a part of today 's passage uh, the, the second part, not the first part, but there 's a part of today 's passage that personally is is probably one of the hardest passages i 've ever had to preach on um, because Peter's going to say some things or really what's more true is he's not gonna say some things that I so deeply wish he would say and he doesn't say them in that omission I'll be honest it is really hard for me to accept but I see what Peter's trying to do, and this is true always with Scripture. Uh, We should not hold the writers of Scripture to our standard or to the standard of our day. Peter was a guy who lived 2,000 years ago in a very different world than ours. And there's something that he's saying in this passage that while hard for me to accept, I think is really quite beautiful. I'm just warning you, it's going to make us a little bit uncomfortable. So are you ready to get a little uncomfortable with me today? I like that enthusiasm. That's awesome. Uh, we have a lot to get through, and first he's going to talk about government and politics. So let's, let's dive in. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter writes this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul." Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you'll notice he brings back something that he said in the first line of his letter. He brings back this title of exiles and sojourners. That's how he greets them. That's how he addresses these people. And what he's trying to teach them with that is that this country that they are living in, while they were born there, it's not actually their home. Their homeland, their nation, is the kingdom of God not the country that they find themselves in. And then he hits them with this big story that they're living in. He says, you may think your story is just about struggling with your sinful passions and having uh, people who are against you. What your story is really about is winning over people to the gospel through your good deeds. That's your story. You've been given like this divine purpose. You're not just someone who others are speaking against, but you are sent to those who are speaking against you to win them over with your good conduct. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating turn on their story because what he doesn't say is what maybe I would have said, which is, I am so sorry. I am so sorry people are saying bad things about you. That must be so hard. That's, gosh, that seems so unfair. Who do those people think they are? We've got to put a stop to it. Instead, Peter says, your story is one of divine purpose. Your story is one of undermining your haters with your good deeds so that they glorify God. That's the story that you're living in. You know, the way he talks to them, what it reminds me of actually is uh, like, like an insurgency, if you know what I mean. Like, like, it, like He's almost talking to them as if they are like spies dropped behind enemy lines in a country that is not their own to win people over to the side of God. Peter's saying, listen, it's not, it's not about what people are saying about you. It is about the mission. It is about the mission we've been given. That's all that matters, I think what Peter says to us is the same, that we are agents of God's kingdom. We are sent to a country, sent to a world that is not ours to disrupt and to undermine the ways of this world with our loving and merciful conduct. That's our story. That's our mission. You know, Peter, he was a radical And what he actually believed is that if you were a believer in Jesus Christ, then your life should be 100% about the gospel and nothing else. And he died for it. So he actually believed that. And if we understand that, that this is where he's coming from, that this is his perspective, then that's going to help us understand these next two things that he says. Look at verse 13 with me. Peter says, be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, for a little bit of context, the emperor Peter is talking about is a man named Nero. You may have heard of Nero. Nero was a hedonistic and evil man who claimed to be God. I'm not saying he was narcissistic. I'm saying he actually said, I am God. He burned down two-thirds of the city of Rome and he blamed Christians for it and he tortured and murdered countless Christians as scapegoats for his own evil and eventually he is the man who kills Peter. Honor that emperor. That's what Peter says. Now, I know probably none of us are super thrilled with how our government is going. And rightly so. But we have to acknowledge something here. That as Americans, not one of us has ever ever experienced something like what Peter experienced. Never. And in my mind, that means that Peter has greater credibility on the issue of believers interacting with government than any American Christian alive today. We should listen to him, right? He's seen some stuff. He has some authority on this. And we should listen to what he's trying to say. And I think if I was to sum it up, I think this is real simply what he's saying in this passage. Do not interact with government or politics in ways that jeopardize the message of the gospel. Could we all agree with that? That's the core of this. Would we all agree with that in this country, that the gospel is more important than our political platform? I would say if you can't agree with that, then you've stopped reading the scriptures. You've stopped giving the scriptures authority in your life because that's clearly what the Bible teaches. But honestly, I think most American Christians would agree with that. I think most American Christians would agree with Peter that the will of God is that we as believers should do so much good that we win over people, not with our words, but with our good conduct, we win over those who would speak against us. So, Peter takes that concept, though, and he applies it this way, that if that is true, then what that means is we should respect and honor all government officials as if they were chosen by God. Because he seems to believe that this idea of like, disrespect or dishonoring the government that is over us would somehow distract from the message of the gospel. And if I'm being totally honest, just one man's opinion, I don't think we're very good at this as American Christians. I don't want to pick a fight here, but if you doubt me that we're not particularly good at this particular biblical imperative, then maybe just think back over, I don't know, any of the last 365 days. Think about all the words that were publicly said by people who profess to follow Jesus about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Were those words all characterized by honor? I don't think I'm too far out on a limb to say not all of them. But here's what we do with the scriptures. Think about all the words that you and I have personally said about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Were all those words characterized by honor? And you might say, well, Jonathan... Our leaders deserve to be criticized. I don't disagree. That's why I criticize them. But we have to look this truth square in the eyes. There is no dodging this. Our leaders don't deserve to be criticized as much as Emperor Nero deserved to be criticized. Is that fair? If you, don't, if you doubt that, read about Emperor Nero. It is fair. Peter says, I would never do that. I would never say anything dishonorable about him because I am focused on the gospel and on doing so much good that I win over those who hate me. I warned you last week we weren't going to like what Peter says about how we relate to our government. Um, I, listen, a I, 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 moment of humility here. I don't think we're good at this one. I don't think we're good at this one. And I think one of the reasons that we're not good at this, if I was going to speculate, uh, there's probably multiple ones, but I think one of the reasons we're not good at this is because we allow ourselves in this country to believe something that Peter never believed. Or rather, Peter used to believe it, and then he met Jesus, and Jesus gave him a new story. But we let ourselves believe that power changes the world. And as American Christians, sometimes we think, no, it does, but it doesn't. Peter used to believe that too. He used to be very caught up in power. Remember, he's the guy who's like, hey, should we call down fire from heaven and burn up these towns? Then he met Jesus. Jesus, Savior of the world, all-powerful Jesus, who allowed himself to be crucified and killed by those in power, and he saw how it was actually goodness and love that changes the world. And I think he's challenging us with this perspective to give up the hope that powerful people will make a difference in the world. They don't, they can't, they never could. That's not how the world changes. I think the core of what Peter's perspective is that he's challenging me on, at least, is don't try to use political or governmental power to accomplish the mission of God. Rely on your good deeds to change people's minds About Jesus. Peter says don't get caught up in the story of the government. Honor the leaders and just stay focused on the mission. I want to say something just like to us as a church that I I feel like it just needs to be said here as your pastor. um, Can I speak into our lives about a specific issue? I'm going to say this gently, but I just I I am feeling led to say this to us um, just about this church. Some of us have put too much focus on the power of government. In our hearts and in our minds, some of us have put too much focus on the power of government. And I get it. I get it. It is so hard not to do that in our culture. And if you're unsure, have I? Is he talking about me? Let me just ask you this simple question. Do you consume more news or more Bible? Simple question. Add it up the last month or in the last months, I actually did that. I'm trying to practice what I preach. And I will be totally honest with you. This fall, I consumed quite a bit more news than Bible. I was too focused on the power of government and that was a mistake. I'm confessing it. I am repenting of it. I got too caught up in the story of those who appear to have power. Peter's trying to woo us to something here. He's trying to woo us to the true story of actual power, the power of the gospel, the story that we're living in. And when you find yourself in that gospel story, you will find that you can honor anyone created in the image of God. And if Peter could honor a pagan emperor of Rome who claimed to be God, then you and I can honor President Trump and President Biden. And we can focus on the mission. That's what Peter did. And that's the first way he applies this. He says, you are agents of the kingdom of God in a country that's not your own. So honor them and stay focused on the mission. It affects how we relate to our government. That's the easy part that he says. And then he turns and he writes what I think is one of the hardest things I've ever had to preach on. So buckle up. Um, Let's read it, then I'll explain. Verse 18. Peter writes this, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, your translation might say something different uh, when he says servants. Your translation might say slaves, because that is in fact what he is talking about. He is turning now to address a specific category of people. He's talking about slavery. He's talking about people who were owned by someone else as as possessions, as products. And what he says to these believers is, I want you to be respectful to those people who own you, whether they're good or whether they're unjust. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. There's a lot of really good stuff in there. He talks about the character of Christ and about the suffering on our behalf that he did, the unjust suffering that he experienced and about how he shepherds us and how he cares for us. But the thing that has just grabbed me, and I've been wrestling with these last couple of weeks, is this. Um, Have you ever met a slave? Like, have you ever met someone who was actually owned by another person as property? Uh, If you've been walking with our church for a while, you know I have. Um, I, I work with our partner, The Exodus Road, in the space of human trafficking. Um, And I have met boys and girls who are owned by another person and their sexuality is sold multiple times a night by their horrifically unjust masters. Uh, I keep a, a journal. It's on my shelf in my office. Um, that when I do this work, I take it with me, and part of it is just bearing witness to their suffering. And uh, in that journal, I write down the names of of the boys and girls that I meet. Um, The context is always, for me, I meet them in the context of undercover investigation stuff, collecting evidence so that we can give it to the police and hopefully free them. But because I'm pretending to be a customer in those contexts, you know, I can't speak freely to them. Like I can't say to them what I would like to say in the moment. You know, but after the moment, like that's all you can think of, is what you would love to say or what you would love to do for this person. Um, Just just being honest, I I would never in a million years say to one of the slaves I've met what Peter has said here. Um, It's hard for me to even read it and think about I want Peter to say, "I want Peter to say, slavery is wrong, right? Um, or you're more valuable than that." I want him to say, "You know, flee, flee your unjust masters." I want him to say, "Rescue is coming," but he doesn't, and it's hard. And there's stuff in our scriptures that is like this. It is hard to read. This is a hard omission to accept. I think, though, I think if we can get behind Peter's eyes for a minute, though, and just for a minute try to see what he is seeing, there's actually something in this that is quite beautiful. It's just really hard and also quite beautiful. A couple of things we we have to realize. Um, We need to realize he's writing uh, to a group of slaves that had no hope in ever changing their situation. Slavery was an institution like we don't have now in our world. There still is a lot of slavery. There's actually more slaves on the planet now than there have ever been. But for percentages, it was far different back in Peter's day. Historians estimate one quarter to one third of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. So if we we were to compare that to our country, that would be 100 million slaves in the United States. It's just a staggering the scope of what he's speaking about here. And we also need to realize this, that Peter is not writing to slave masters. There doesn't seem to be slave masters in this community of believers. And so he's not addressing that. And if he was, I'm sure he would take a different approach. He was writing, though, to slaves, to people who were owned, but he considered them to be his brothers and sisters in the family of God. And he's addressing the story they find themselves in. And he says something here about um, specifically about receiving beatings that seems really misguided to our eyes. And I think we just need to say that. Um, he says, basically, make sure you're beaten for the right reasons. And then he says, endure it. And like to my eyes, I, like I, would, I would just say, like that's the wrong thing to say to a human. But here's the deal, and we have to acknowledge this. I've never been beaten. And I have certainly never been beaten for my faith in Jesus. Peter had. Peter had been beaten numerous times. Peter had been whipped, flogged with a whip, because he had faith in Jesus. And so he is not saying what he's saying from the safety of suburban, privileged Christianity. And so we can't read it from that lens. We have to read it from his lens. Peter had a credibility on this subject that none of us, thank God, have. And what he's saying with that position of authority, that position of credibility is, I know you've been beaten. And as someone also who has that as a part of their life, can I help us understand our story? You may thank your story is of an abused slave. Um, I'm here to tell you your real story is that of a kingdom agent chosen by God and sent to this unjust slave owner. You know, you see this in a few different places, and it certainly comes through loud and clear here. There is an edge to the apostles and to the writers of the New Testament Um, Certainly Peter has it. These were guys who suffered a lot. These were guys who were beaten and jailed, and most of them were killed because of their faith in Jesus. These were guys who, you know, sometimes, and maybe even at this moment, uh, Peter was chained to a Roman soldier who was his captor and his jailer. And they had this edge to them where even in a situation like that, they're like, I'm not chained to anyone. They're chained to me. I'm I'm about to tell this person the gospel and win them over. They even took beatings in the name of Jesus. And they did it in such a way that their beatings became like sermons. And somehow, like even in their suffering, people gave their life to Jesus because of the way that these guys suffered. And you see that edge. And what comes through is this is what happens when the gospel becomes actually the central focus of your life. You'll leverage everything that you have, even uh, suffering, even uh, beatings, even prison, even slavery. It becomes a moment to testify to the grace of Jesus. There's all sorts of stuff that I wish Peter would say here, uh, but he doesn't owe us anything, right? He doesn't owe me anything. He has a credibility because he lived it. He didn't live in our world Peter's not okay with slavery. He's certainly not okay with beatings. That's not what he's saying. He just couldn't conceive of a world where that wasn't a part of following Christ. And so instead of saying, hope it doesn't happen, he gives his brothers and sisters in slavery a new story that's tied to the mission of the gospel. You know, when, when I think about the slaves that I've met, and this is true with anyone who's trapped in a, a situation that doesn't seem like it's going to get better, like, biblically there are two priorities when we're ministering to somebody else. One is the here and now, right? This is why Jesus healed people. Like, we recognize everybody that Jesus healed eventually died, so it wasn't like permanent. He just was addressing their suffering in the here and now. This is why we fight to end slavery. This is why we fight to free victims of human trafficking, because God's kingdom is about restoring all brokenness, including the brokenness that we experience here and now but there's this other priority too and it's learning to trust that there is life and that there is hope beyond this moment and even beyond this lifetime that is what Peter is talking about with these slaves he says despite your circumstances despite what the world would tell you about your worth and about your value God himself has chosen you to be one of his agents of the gospel of grace on earth I don't know if there's anyone else in the Roman world that would talk to a a worthless slave that way. This is hard. This is a hard teaching. But there's also, there's a beauty and there's a dignity for these slaves as they find themselves in this new story of purpose about the kingdom of God. He says, your story is not of a mistreated slave. Your story is of a kingdom agent sent to win over her slave master by the God who knows firsthand about beatings. It's powerful. It's challenging. It'll make you think twice about what we complain about, won't it? What do we take away for us, for our story, you and I? uh, The story that God wants us to embrace. What does this mean for us? I think in big picture, I think this is what Peter is saying. Finding Jesus may not change your position, but it does change your mission. Your position may not change. Whether you're a slave, you're an oppressed people group, whether your government is corrupt, Jesus coming into your life may not change that. It may not change your status. But Jesus in your life will change your purpose forever. And Peter's saying, listen, whatever situation you find yourself in, you have a new purpose now. Your new purpose is an agent of the gospel. Because Jesus is in your life, you've suddenly joined this insurgency of grace. You're an exile, a sojourner, overturning something in this world. And in this new mission, this new purpose in his kingdom, slaves and prisoners are actually more powerful than emperors. That's our story. And the question is just, are we allowing this mission of the gospel to become our story? Are we allowing it to infuse what we do? Or are we still trapped in a story that's defined by our circumstances? Are we focused on government? Are we focused on status? Are we caught up in the gospel, the insurgency of grace? You know, one of the places I think Peter learned this, I mean, certainly from Jesus, probably, obviously from Jesus. Uh, But there's also this fascinating thing that happened to him early on in his ministry. You can read about it in Acts 3, 4, and 5. It's kind of a long story. This happens in Jerusalem. Jesus had died. He'd risen from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and the Holy Spirit comes. And then Peter and John, two of the closest to Jesus' disciples... Uh, they, They go out and they start boldly preaching the gospel. And while they're doing this, they happen to heal a man who is born unable to walk. And thousands of people saw it and they were believing in Jesus because this was a pretty powerful miracle. And so it was like this combination of there's the good deeds for the here and now, but there's also this hope of salvation. And it's like sweeping through the city and the Jewish ruling council, the people who were responsible in many ways for the crucifixion of Jesus, they started to get upset. They started to feel like they were being singled out. And, And so they arrested Peter and John. They throw them in jail miraculously they get out and the next day they go back to preaching and eventually they get hauled in front of the Jewish rulers and they get threatened and Peter famously says I'm gonna go ahead and obey God not you They get furious and they want to kill him. And in that moment, the Bible says, just kind of randomly, we don't know anything about this character until this moment, a man named Gamaliel stands up and he calls for silence to address the crowd. Now, Gamaliel was a Pharisee, and if you know your Bible trivia, you know that Paul says that he was the Pharisee that he learned from when he was Saul and he was persecuting Christians. So Gamaliel had no love for Jesus' followers, but he says something that's absolutely fascinating. He brings up and reminds everyone about a man named Theodos and a man named Judas the Galilean. You probably don't know who that is, Uh, But they both claimed at separate times to be a Messiah sent from God to lead an insurrection. And both of them, it ended the same way. They were crushed by the boot of Rome. And Gamaliel stands up, and everyone is paying attention to him, and he says to all of these people who are the rulers of the Jewish nation right now, he says, listen, if this Jesus thing, if it's just some human idea, then it's going to end like every human idea has ever ended. It will fail. And then he says, but, but if it is from God, if it is from God, then it doesn't matter what we do, we will never be able to stop it. As it turns out, Gamaliel was right. They couldn't stop it. They tried. Nero couldn't stop it. He tried really, really hard. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus. And had I not told you Nero was the emperor, probably none of us in this room would have known. And I think the question that Peter is leading us to, it's this question of focus and distraction. And I think Gamaliel actually said it best. Like there are these human things that seem really important today. Really important in this moment, but like all human things, they end and they are forgotten. And then there are the things of God. The things that cannot be stopped, that will last for all eternity. And Peter is saying, do not be distracted from the latter by the former. Do not be distracted by the human things that will fail from the things of God that will last eternally. And he names it. It's doing good. And it's the redemptive work of the gospel of grace. That's the mission. That's what matters. I love this community so much. I really do. And I'm so proud of how generous uh, you all are as a people and all the good that you do here. But I bet even so, there's room for us for some conviction and repentance on this. I'm feeling conviction. I would love it if you'd join me in that. Do you think we as a group have been distracted by some human things that seem important in the moment? I recently read, apathy is no longer our greatest spiritual enemy, distraction is. It is so easy to get distracted in this world, and I'm confessing, I have been. I've spent too much time on the news, too much time on the social media. In my spirit, I have been so caught up in our circumstances. I've spent so much time this year wishing for a different situation. And I've, I've done, I'm, you know, we've all done good stuff. I've done good stuff too. I'm not saying I haven't done anything good. I just, I, I see this radical focus that Peter has and the only thing that matters and I'm just convicted. I need to repent of my distraction. I need to realign some things in my life I know how much good you all have done this year. I love it. Um, But could we maybe have a moment of humility together and just realignment? Would you bow with me? Can we go to God together? God, would you reveal to us if we've been distracted by human things? Lord, show us if we've been dishonoring to the government or dishonoring to those that you've chosen to be an authority over us. Lord, show us if our conduct around those who don't believe has been in any way dishonorable. Would you reveal to us in this moment if we've been distracted and misaligned from what matters most. Lord, I... I confess and repent from those things you've shown me. And on behalf of this community, God, we confess and we repent for these things you've shown us. Your forgiveness of us is complete and permanent. And for that, we are so thankful. Lord, we're still being formed. We know we're a work in progress. We have grace for ourselves. We just pray that you give us the sort of focus on eternal things that Peter had. We want to be found in your story. God, I pray for my friends here and I pray for myself. Would you help us be less worried about government? We need that, Lord. Lord, would you help us be less concerned with our own status? We need that, Lord. God, draw our hearts and minds again to the good deeds you have for us. Draw our hearts and minds again to the redemptive work of your gospel. We know and we believe what Gamaliel said. Those things you do cannot be stopped, no matter what. We believe by faith, God, you are great, and your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And so, God, we will pour our lives into that story that will last. Thank you for making that story our story. You stand with me, let's respond.